Good morning. Welcome to Eastern Mennonite Seminary Chapel Worship. Welcome to those of you gathered here in Martin Chapel. And welcome to those of you joining virtually. Sisters and brothers, siblings, beloved of God, may you experience grace and peace as we worship God together this morning. Before we begin to worship, I would like to draw your attention to the community events listed on the back of your bulletins. You will see that tomorrow morning, there is a Black History Month convocation featuring EMU alumni George Johnson um, in the Lehman Auditorium at 10.10 a.m. And then under that, you will see um, that next Tuesday, the day before Lent, um, which is Shrove Tuesday or Fat Tuesday or Mardi Gras or Knot Day or whatever you want to call it, um, Pancake Day, <laughs> um, to celebrate that day, the Seminary Care Committee will be hosting a pancake lunch for us following our chapel worship service. So I'm sure you'll be receiving an email with more information about that, but I did want you to make you aware of that so that next Tuesday you'll come hungry and ready to participate in that feast and fellowship following our um, chapel worship time. And then next Wednesday is the day that we are reminded that we are dust, and to dust we shall return. If you'd like to receive ashes, there will be an Ash Wednesday service here in Martin Chapel at 10.10 a.m. And now a few words about today's service. Last week, Easter Mennonite Seminary and the Anabaptist Climate Collaborative launched their inaugural Pastors for Climate Care cohort with a four-day retreat at Highland Retreat in Bergton, Virginia, with one day in Washington, D.C. This year-long experience, which will continue through virtual meetings and one more in-person retreat, explores how pastors and ministry leaders can effectively broaden climate action in their congregations and move people from denial and inaction to action and advocacy. Steve Pardini, one of the cohort members and a recent graduate of this seminary, will be our chapel speaker today. He will share some of his ideas about the science of climate change and its impacts, influenced by the work of Professor Doug Graber Newfeld, and the theology of creation care, influenced by the work of Professor Peter, Peter Dula. So now, 
please join me in this call to worship. I will read the one and please join me on the all. Hear this proclamation of faith. Christ is risen from the dead. God's spirit is poured out. Lives are transformed. God is active in our world. God brings hope and healing. Hear the call of God. The Spirit of God invites us into community. We are called to see beyond ourselves and to join in loving care for all those around us. We accept God's call and we rejoice in the gift of community. Hear the challenge for today. The earth is stressed by the heavy impact of human use. The whole of God's creation is groaning, crying out in pain. We name the earth as part of our community. We extend our love to all of God's creation. People of faith, gather now to worship God, the creator and redeemer of the world. Gather now to be transformed by God's compassionate love. We praise with joy the world's creator, God of justice, love, and peace. Amen. And I also would like to read for you EMU's land acknowledgement statement. In the spirit of truth-telling, justice, and reconciliation, we offer the following land acknowledgement as it pertains to EMU's location. We call the Shenandoah Valley, what we call the Shenandoah Valley, has been a home to many generations of humans. The first ones among us became groups we call the Schwann, Menachem, Menahok, Catawba, and Cherokee. We acknowledge the violence of land taken and used in ways that have kept indigenous groups from thriving here. We commit ourselves to honor them and this watershed through care for creation and sharing of God's good gift of land that is for all. We will now sing Creation is a song from Voices Together, number 181.
Romans 8, 18 to 22. The suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to fertility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it. In hope that the creation itself will be set free from its enslavement to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning together as it suffers together the pains of labor.
Hutoskar egapetsen ha feas ton kazman hoste ton khian ton monogene eroken hina pas hapistuan e satan me apolute alache zoen ionian Good morning, I am Mark Keller, and I am privileged to introduce today's speaker, Dr. Stephen Pardini. I first met and got to know Steve when he and his family moved to Harrisonburg and became a part of the Harrisonburg Mennonite Church community where I was serving as a pastor. But my connection to Steve goes back farther. We lived in the same town in the late 70s, but we did not know it. We went to the same Ames Mennonite Fellowship, but not at the same time. Although we did not overlap in attendance in that congregation, we were both blessed deeply by the ministry of the pastor who was significant in both our faith journeys. Steve's church background was not Mennonite, but after being invited by another student, university student, to the Mennonite Fellowship, Steve was, Steve was strongly attracted to the Anabaptist faith tradition, and he has been a Mennonite church member ever since. At our congregation, Steve has become highly engaged as a participant in the church's creation care group. This group has been promoting responsible stewardship of the Earth's environment in various ways. Last year, Steve led a committee resulting in solar panels being added to our church building. He is currently this year a part of a committee tasked with the research and planting of hundreds of trees on our church property. Steve also has a plot of sweet corn in our community garden at the church. All of these involvements come from his desire to promote the shalom of God's kingdom. Steve loves his family, the church, and scripture and unreservedly shares this with others. Steve is passionate about connecting his faith, his ethical beliefs, his productive science with the teaching and understanding that he has come to through his faith. This fervent passion following his graduation here at the seminary last year has developed for him into a calling to write adult Christian materials and to also teach whenever his, when he can. He loves his family, and I am greatly blessed to be a friend of him in the church and to study scripture with him and to present him as our speaker this morning, speaking with the topic climate change and the healing of creation. So I'd like to begin uh, with a word of thanks to everyone here today who has supported helping to uh, make this chapel happen. Um, but a special word of thanks um, to my friend and brother, Mark Keller. Uh, he is someone who has inspired me on my journey of faith, and I am deeply grateful for that. And he is also a committed friend. 
And I would like to thank my wife, Deb, who is my valentine. <laughs> the Earth's radius is 4,000 miles. And this little blue thing you see right there is the Earth's atmosphere. It is less than seven and a half miles thick. This thin layer of gas supports life on Earth. We are using this precious gift of God's creation as a toilet. We are pumping billions and billions of tons of greenhouse gases into it every year, primarily for the generation of electricity and for transportation. We cannot keep doing this. Today we will look at Paul's message from Romans chapter 8 in which Paul gives us a theological understanding of a scientific fact that creation is subjected to futility and enslaved to decay. Futility says that no process is 100% efficient. Everything that we humans do produces waste. Decay says that things deteriorate over time. If we make something and use it, we must maintain it, or it will wear out, fall apart, and become useless. This is the lament of our existence. There is no escaping it, and nothing we can do will change it. This fundamental fact of our life on earth can lead to fatalism, despair, and denial. Futility and decay dominate everything that we do. And for some, this may lead them into a fatalistic attitude that assumes that everything we do is pointless, as the writer of Ecclesiastes points out. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Fatalism becomes a voice that tells us that everything is predetermined and therefore inevitable. In John 10.10, though, we hear the words of Jesus. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Fatalism steals our hope, kills the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and it destroys the God-given purpose for our lives. A fatalistic attitude about climate change says that it's inevitable, and any attempt we make to change it is meaningless. But Christ promises us abundant life that offers hope and gives purpose. Purposeful living calls us to climate action. It creates the hope that it is not too late to reverse the direction of climate change. For some, the inescapable, inescapable nature of futility and decay becomes a source of suffering, which can lead to despair. But Paul reminds us that the sufferings in this present time are not worth comparing to the glory about to be revealed in us. The promise of salvation is full communion with our Creator. The present difficulties are a fact of the Christian life between the resurrection and the return of Christ. The struggles of this age are not an end, but a prelude to glory. We do not let the difficulties of this present age 
drive us into despair. We live in the hope that God who subjected creation to frustration will one day set it free from its enslavement to decay. The magnitude of climate change may seem overwhelming and feel desperate, but rather than giving up in despair, we engage the struggles of caring for the earth. We focus on the things that we know and can do. By taking climate action, we do our part to make real improvements. Since God subjected the earth to futility and decay, and humans can do nothing about it, it may be appealing to some to escape into denial. And therefore, we don't have to take responsibility, and we don't have to be seen as complicit in the climate crisis. We may say that the best we can do is trust in God. God will provide and just wait for the day that Christ returns and then be raptured into the new heaven and earth. This fallen, broken, sinful earth is disposable. It will one day be replaced by a better one. And the climate catastrophe predictions are too frightening. And many therefore ignore them because of their fear and the belief that what they do is in God, what they do is beyond, is what we do is outside of God's control. Denial saves us from unnecessary worthy, worry. Unfortunately, ignoring the problems and struggles of this life will not make them go away. Paul is teaching us that because the issues of this age persist, we must not fall into denial. Paul reminds us that God foreknew an ultimate destiny for our lives, that God's plan of salvation predestines us to be conformed to the image of Christ. This teaching calls us out of denial. We live into our anticipated future by doing the works that God has prepared in advance for us to do in the here and now. This means that we do not deny the problems of climate change. We work to solve them. We identify the root causes of climate change and take corrective actions to, to correct them. The denial of this life's difficulties leaves us unresponsive. Living into God's promise for the future charts our course of action and gets us moving in the right direction. Fatalism, despair, and denial affect our response to God's command to be cultivators and caretakers of creation. Responsible caretaking includes working to avert the coming climate catastrophe. Some people hold to the dominion approach, which says that you have to cut a tree to make something from a tree. Dr. Catherine Hayhoe, an evangelical climate scientist, points out that due to the influence of culture and religion, more than two-thirds of evangelical Christians in the United States maintain that climate change is not human-caused. Evangelicals deny the threat of climate change, believing that God is in control. The environmental outcomes are not humanly determined, and therefore, they're not up for debate. 
Humans are to trust in God's care and provision. God's care for the earth is greater than anything that humans can do to destroy it. We are to worship God, not creation. The earth is for human use. God created us, put us in it, and gave us dominion over it. Hayho presents a point of view that recognizes that we need both dominion and responsibility. Genesis 1.28, we read that humans are to be fruitful and multiply, fill and subdue the earth, and have dominion over every living creature. According to Hayho, humans are to rule the way that God ruled, by walking among the subjects and responsibly caring for them. In Genesis 2.15, we see that God places humans in the garden and gives humans responsibility to till it and keep it. Dominion over the earth is not authorization for humans to exploit the earth. Each part of creation, living and non-living, receive God's blessing as good. Humans' reckless exploitation of natural resources and destruction of the earth's life-giving ecosystems is sinful because it violates God's mandate for humans to be keepers of the earth. 1856, Eunice Foote did some experiments. And what she did was she took some glass jars and filled them with air, and in other glass jars, she added ever-increasing amounts of CO2 gas to the air, and then she sealed them up and put a thermometer in them. Then she placed the glass jars in the sunlight. And what she found was that the gas temperature increased more in the jars that had CO2. And as the CO2 concentration increased, the temperature increased. Then she removed the jars from the sunlight. And it took the jars with the CO2 much longer to cool down. In her paper, she indicated that if we burn fossil fuels and increase the amount of CO2 in the atmosphere, this could result in an increase in temperature. These experiments have been adequately confirmed by scientists today. Burning fossil fuels produces CO2. CO2 absorbs heat-producing sunlight. CO2 acts as a blanket that covers the earth. And as the CO2 level increases, the global temperature increases. As the climate warms, the ice sheets, the land-based ice sheets in Greenland and Antarctica melt. And as these ice sheets melt, the sea level rises. So over the past 200 years, scientists have measured the increase in CO2 in the atmosphere from 280 parts per million to 420 parts per million. And global temperatures over that time have risen 2 degrees Fahrenheit. And scientists have determined that the ocean level has risen one foot due to the warming of the water, which expands it, and the melting of the ice in Greenland and Antarctica. This is unsustainable. If we continue 
business as usual, by the end of this century, temperatures are projected to rise eight and a half degrees and sea levels seven feet. Roughly 40% of the world's population lives within 60 miles of the coastline. Severe flooding will force people out of their homes and it will cause conflict. Some people hold a caretaker approach. Caretakers say, if you cut a tree, plant a tree. Caretaking for Christians goes beyond sustainable use of the Earth's resources. The caretaker approach includes building reconciling relationships with each other and God. The climate crisis, climate crisis is a moral problem because it causes physical loss, emotional trauma, spiritual despair, relational brokenness, and conflict. The climate crisis causes injustice. People will lose their homes, their livelihoods, and many, especially the poor, will suffer the most. These outcomes oppose God's plan of salvation, which according to Dr. Harold Snyder, is the healing of all creation. Paul reminds us in Ephesians 2.8 that God sent his son to die for our sins, to be saved by grace through faith. This teaching speaks to the hope we all have in Christ, but Paul's writing is not intended to justify not caring for the earth. John 3.16 reads, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So if we look closely at the text, we see that the Greek root word for world is cosmos. And cosmos is the ordered system that God created and blessed and called good. This text does not say, for God so loved humans. If that were the case, the Greek root word would have been anthropos, not cosmos. God loves humans whom God created, and God has a plan of salvation for humans. And God loves the world that God created, and God's plan of salvation includes the earth. God plans to heal all creation, materially and spiritually, and calls for humans' active participation in that work. Revelation 11.18 warns us, The nations were angry, and your wrath has come. The time has come for judging the dead and rewarding your servants, the prophets and your people, who revere your name both great and small, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. This passage follows the sounding of the seventh trumpet, which announces the advent of the Messiah's reign forever and ever. God's wrath will come against those wicked and immoral persons who destroy the earth, whose corrupt behavior causes hardship and injustice. They will receive utter destruction as their reward. Climate change has spiritual consequences. Acting on the causes of climate change is biblical. Hayhoe points out that climate change results from the poor stewardship of God's re given resources and produces global injustice. 
the poorest and most vulnerable among us, according to Hayho, will be affected the most by climate change. And that is why Christians are called to care about this issue. Hayho then goes on to say, if we took our faith seriously, we would be at the front of the line demanding climate action rather than dragging our feet at the back. Hayho sees the earth as a gift from God, that God has given us dominion and responsibility to be caretakers. Some hold that climate change is a hoax. People have actually come up to me and said that I'm believing untruths, that I'm being deceived. I inform them that for over 200 years, research by nearly 2,000 scientists in over 20,000 peer-reviewed papers have reached 99.9% .9 consensus that climate change is real and caused by humans. I remind them that God gave us the ability to figure things out. For example, God allowed us to discover penicillin and to figure out how to use it to fight bacterial infections. God gave us the ability to build an airplane and figure out how to make it fly. God gives us the ability to figure out what's going on with the climate. God also gives us freedom to choose. We can obey or we can rebel. God assures us of salvation and God promises judgment. Jesus calls us to hear his words and put them into action. In Matthew 7.21, Jesus reminds us that not all who say, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Human destruction of the earth is the destruction that humans bring upon themselves. This is a graph. We are looking at the concentration of CO2 in the atmosphere in parts per million over time. As you can see, when Adam and Eve were in the garden, about 6,000 years ago, according to some biblical calculations that people make, <laughs> the atmosphere was about 265 parts per million. When Jesus walked on the earth about 2,000 years ago, the CO2 level was 275 parts per million. Then, at the beginning of the Industrial Revolution, which is a little over 200 years ago, the CO2 level was 280 parts per million. We know this by analyzing the CO2 trapped in layers of ice in glaciers from around the world. In the past 200 years, the CO2 level has gone from 280 to over 420 parts per million. For thousands of years, the Earth's CO2 level has changed very little. But since the Industrial Revolution, it has increased by a considerable amount. And scientists have shown that this increase correlates with the burning of fossil fuels, primarily to generate electricity and for transportation. We cannot keep doing this. 
This is a picture of Mount Storm Lake power generation in West Virginia. Have any of you ever been there? You ought to go visit it because these uh, got a big coal pile here. It burns coal. You can see the emissions out of that stack to make steam. That steam turns turbines. Those turbines turn generators, and those generators send electricity along those power lines. Those power lines come to Rockingham County. Much of the electricity that we have powering this room today is coming from coal. But fortunately, God gave us more than one way to make electricity. Solar and wind provide low-cost electricity and do not produce <clears throat> CO2. Automobiles with electric batteries charged by solar or wind run without emitting CO2, and they cost less than gasoline. I know I own an EV. I've got the data if you want to see it. Transitioning from fossil fuels to renewable energy for electricity and transportation will significantly reduce our CO2 emissions. In addition, planting trees helps to reduce CO2. Have you ever wondered why God created the earth with CO2 in the atmosphere? Well, one reason might be God planted trees in the garden. Trees use sunlight and chlorophyll to convert carbon dioxide and water into glucose and oxygen. And there's actually enzymes in the tree that can take that glucose, polymerize it, and make cellulose out of it, which is the stuff wood is made of. The trees are the Earth's lungs. They take in carbon dioxide and they release oxygen. The great thing about photosynthesis, why are you smiling, Mary Beth? The great thing about photosynthesis is that trees take six CO2s, six carbon dioxides, to make one molecule of glucose. That is a great ratio and provides great benefit for the reduction of atmospheric CO2. God has given us the capability and the know-how to use the Earth's resources. And God gives us the agency and calls us to use those resources responsibly and sustainably. So, our questions for today become, do we believe that what we do makes a difference? Will we let fatalism, despair, and denial discourage us from caring for each other and the earth in a way that pleases God? Thank you. Thank you, Steve. I appreciate your words. <laughs> I have written on my paper fatalism, despair, and denial, and I have them crossed off 
because it's so easy to fall into one of those three instead of moving over into purposeful living, engaging the struggle, and looking for ways to solve the problems, identifying the root causes and taking, taking action. Thank you for giving us hope that we can do that. Our prayer of response um, was written by Carmen Schrockhurst, who used to be our chapel minister here at Eastern Mennonite Seminary and currently pastors at Harrisonburg Mennonite Church. Um, Join me as we pray. Creator God, we give you thanks for the beauty and wonder of all that you have made. Sun and moon, wind and water, plants and animals, and people of countless varieties. Forgive us for all times that we have not been good stewards of your creation. Awaken in us a renewed commitment to care for the earth and for all her inhabitants. May we respond with compassion to those whose lives have been upended by climate crises, whether it be drought, flood, or fire. May we live simply so that others may simply live. Grant us wisdom and courage to act for the good of our world and for future generations. May our response grow from our faith in you, our creator and redeemer. Amen. Let us sing together, New Earth, Heavens New.
now it's time for the benediction. This came to me this morning. I thought of the words of President Obama. He said, we are the first generation to really experience the effects of climate change. And we are the last generation that can do anything about it. Let's pray. May God's Holy Spirit move us to be responsible caretakers of the earth's resources and our relationships with each other and God. May we work to bring God's future vision of healing of all creation into the present age. May all that we do please our Creator and be in accord with God's plan of salvation. And look at me now. On the day that our Lord returns, may he look into each one of our eyes and say, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Receive my joy, my peace. Come, enter the eternal shalom. Amen.